This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hey, everybody. Did you hear that sound? That is Ken Campbell's Coke can. It's back, and you might notice as well that the quality of this podcast sounds, well, decidedly not as good. Vintage. <laughs> Vintage. There we go. See, Ryan's yeah, spinning it right. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you're wondering why, uh, temporarily, uh, we are making some changes, getting a new studio, getting new equipment, uh, but while we're waiting for these things to happen, we've gone back to our original podcast equipment. It's just temporary, so hopefully it sounds okay, but either way, Hockey News Podcast is back. Matt Larkin is here with Ken Campbell, Ryan Kennedy, on, the usual gang. <laughs> Lots to talk about. Uh, and I guess, first off, let's just look at the standings. Because every time I look, Calgary's won another game. They're going full Tampa Bay right now Yeah, in the West. And I feel like, yes, everyone's for a while considered them, you know, a cute, cuddly team's doing well. But I don't think people have been mentioning them in the same breath as Winnipeg and Nashville. But I wonder now, A, is it time to do so? And B, is it time to start comparing them to Tampa Bay and thinking about the idea of Calgary Flames Stanley Cup champions? Reprisal of the 2004 Stanley Cup final. Oh, yeah. Tampa Bay against Calgary. I forgot about that. Let's do it. This time it's personal. Yeah. <laughs> Get Jerome McGinley and Martin St. Louis to come out of retirement. That's right. Um, well, I mean, Calgary, I mean, can you say they're the best team in the West? I mean, they have to be because... The, other, the two teams just behind them might be the second and third best teams in the West. Yeah, right now. Vegas and San Jose. Like those, you know, I mean, that division was supposed to be a pushover. And now, I mean, those three teams have been the three dominant teams in the league in the last, well, along with with Tampa Bay, who lost last night and screwed up my blog opportunity today. <laughs> so I'm a little pissed at that. Way to but go, anyways, Bulls. Yeah, way to go, guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean... You know, Mark Giordano is legitimately putting together a Norris Trophy season. Johnny Gaudreau is legitimately putting together a Hart Trophy season. Um, Bill Peters is legitimately putting together a, a Jack Adams winning season. So, um, you know, and I mean, they can score their way out of anything, it looks like. But the good thing about it is, is they, is there... Actually, their goaltending's really improved over the last little while, and I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, that's my only caveat, and I was going to joke it like, is David is David Riddich a Vesna candidate? Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. And you know, two teams in the West we haven't mentioned are Winnipeg and Nashville, both of whom have proven goaltenders at this point. I, I say Connor Hellbuck is proven based on oh, yeah. what they did yeah, last absolutely, year. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and that's my that's my concern with the Flames is that they can win as many games as they want in the regular season. But if you're in a seven-game series, maybe not the first round, but second or third round, you're going against one of the best teams. I feel that they're going to figure out Calgary's goalie tandem, whether it be Riddich or Mike Smith. And, and that would be my concern right now is that eventually – they're going to hit a wall. There's going to be more of a book on Riddich, who's still a bit of an unknown quantity in terms of scouting, and, and you know, in that regard. So that would be my my problem with the Flames as Stanley Cup contender. I certainly think that they can be a Western Conference finalist, but that would be as far as I would go. I think I'm I'm getting more bullish on them. I'm sticking with Winnipeg, of course, as our Stanley Cup pick for our egos, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. But even with Riddich, I mean. 
with goaltenders, goalies are so fickle in this day and age that uh, it's almost like every goalie is not proven until he's proven, right? Pecorini was the seventh-round pick that kind of, at the time, came out of nowhere when he first broke through with Nashville as well, right? So Riddich is an unknown, but if it, more so than ever, I don't think you need to be a first- or second-round pick. Like, there's exceptions. Now, Andre Vasilevsky, a guy like that, he's more the exception. And guys like David Riddich, who sort of come out of nowhere, are coming coming closer to the norm. And I think, to me, yes, Mark Giordano and... and Johnny Gaudreau would be amazing, but I think the base X factor this season for Calgary has been Matthew Kachuk, because the Flames are no longer, I mean, in recent years they've established that, they're not the one-line team anymore, right. because the Kachuk, Backlund, and sometimes Frolik line has been so good, but now that second line isn't just a good second line, it's often producing on the caliber of a first line, and that makes Calgary way more dangerous, and that's something that I think, you know, Nashville, or especially Winnipeg, Tampa Bay, Toronto can ice, they can ice two legitimate first line caliber mm-hmm. units mm-hmm. and I think maybe Calgary can do that now too so I don't know I'm starting to come around on them uh, and I do think I could see them make an upgrade at the trade deadline I had mentioned them before as a team I think would be a nice fit for Wayne Simmons if they're not happy with Froelich you know he was in the press box he's hot now again but he's if they decide perfect, yeah. right yeah. but if they if they if Bill Peters cools on him again maybe you add a Wayne Simmons and that, right. that's a tough team to play yeah, against Wayne Simmons maybe if you're not so bullish on James Neal yeah. yeah. You know oh, I mean? yeah. I mean, imagine if this guy was Yeah, if James Neal was, was if, playing even average yeah, hockey. Yeah, <laughs> And you know what I don't get here is is how they're not – like, they're winning these games, like, 7-1, 7-2 and everything, and they're not – like, he's not – they're not getting him in on that. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, he's getting one assist or something here or there. Like, th- like I, if I were up 5-1 going into the third period, I'd be like, let's play James Neal for 12 minutes this period. Right. <laughs> and – just put him in front of the net or set him up as much as we Just can. Bounce, try and let's, bounce yeah. let's, off. Let's get him. Let's get him in the fight here. Let's get him involved here. Mm. But it doesn't seem like he's even able to pile up cookies or biscuits or whatever. You know, when uh, when they're when they're winning like these big time games. You know? Pile up, pile up cookies. What's what's that? Is cookies. that a thing? Is that an expression? Gonna, well, they want to get their cookies. They want to get their, their, their yeah. points. We're right? going to bake some shortbread. Yeah. Okay. That's a hockey term. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. Okay. We are okay. not aliens. Uh, uh, sticking in the Pacific right now, uh, the Anaheim Ducks. What's crazy to me about the Ducks is they have lost 11 straight games and are still tied in points for the last playoff spot. Yeah. yeah. How? You yeah, lost yeah. 11 games in a row. And now we have Bob Murray coming out speaking and implying that Coach Randy Carlisle's job is not in jeopardy at the moment, and yet he's... Trading Andrew Cogliano for Devin Shore. Just when he got hot, too. Cogliano, just when he was getting hot, he had his first goal in a month. Jeez. Yes. Yeah. So sell high. Yeah. <laughs> especially because Cogliano, I think it's like what he stands for. He's sort of known as a classy player, or was until he got suspended last year. But, you know, the Iron Man and a fixture on that second line for so many years. Yeah. To me, it does send a message that, you know, the veteran core is not necessarily safe. Um, but I guess we'll start with Carlisle here. Do you believe... Bob Murray, is Randy Carlisle's job really safe, and should it be safe? Or is this a situation where there's something to salvage with a coaching change midseason? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it doesn't matter because I do believe Bob Murray. Bob Murray is as straight a straight shooter as you are ever going to meet in the NHL. When he says something, he means it. Mm. And if he comes out and gives his coach a public endorsement, sometimes that's the kiss of death. In this situation, I don't think it's the kiss of death. I think I think it's for real. I think I, I think they're in. I think he's in for the rest of the year at the very least, and then they reassess after that. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and it's it's interesting because Bob Murray also doesn't like to talk publicly. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. not one of those GMs that does a lot of media. Um, 
So I, I'm with you. But the second part of that question, should Randy Carlisle be a coach? No, he never <laughs> should have been hired again in the first place. I mean, this is a guy that's behind the times strategically in the NHL. And, you know, you can talk about the roster construction in Anaheim right now. The veterans are long in the tooth. We know that there's going to be some turnover in the next couple of years where you have to make room for a Troy Terry to be in your top six. Yeah, Max Comtois. Max Comtois, Sam Steele, like all these kids are coming up. Uh, right now it's a transition, but, you know, Murray and Carlisle, they're buddies. They are old school hockey buddies. That's a tough bond to break. I think that, you know, ownership has seen consistent success from Anaheim under Bob Murray. They have. Six playoffs in a row. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there's a lot to like if if you're looking at this team big picture uh, and in the recent past. But I think, you know, they're on the precipice of disaster. And, you know, I mean, 11 games in a row, obviously that's a disaster. But structurally, something's got to give here. You're going to need a new voice behind the bench, and you're obviously going to have a lot of new players in the next two or three years. Maybe maybe for Bob Murray, he's just saying to himself, look, it can't get any worse, so I might as well let Randy finish out the year. But, I mean, something's got to give in the summer. Is, is anybody other than John Gibson even having a good year in Anaheim? Uh, yeah, I mean, Josh Manson was good yeah, last year. Yeah, I haven't yeah. looked really yeah. close at his numbers, but it's not a good sign. I'm like, he was good last year. Yeah, yeah. Really. yeah. Um, you just love Josh yeah. Manson. I do. Yeah. yeah. He's great. Uh, but you know what's interesting, too? I'm reminded of a conversation I had with Randy Carlisle at the start of last season. Uh, and I was doing a story on Ryan Getzlaff, and I asked Getzlaff the same question. Do you guys realize that you're nearing the end of a window because your forward group is getting quite old? And even Getzlaff was talking to me about how he's feeling more sore getting up in the morning. He's even recognizing that his prime is coming to an end. And what Carlisle told me was, yes, when he came, the only reason he took the job again was because of the appeal of knowing it was going to be a relative, like it was going to be a sprint, not a marathon, because he's taking over a team that's entering its final win now window. He knew he was not coming to a rebuilder. So it's almost like the Ducks ship already had a couple leaks, so they gave the captaincy of that ship to somebody who could stick with those veterans and now go down with that ship. And I think mm-hmm. the ship is going down. Yeah. So I agree with the notion that they're just going to keep Carlisle there. And it's going to be, I, I, it looks like this season might mark the end of that era. I mean, Ryan Getzlaff is going to still physically be there, but I think it's going to signal a transition to the next era of this team. And that's when you go to a new coach, I think. Well, let's hope, let's hope too, that this ship does just quietly go down into the night, like that they don't start getting crazy and, Making a bunch of trades for veterans that yeah. that are gonna that are gonna cost in the future, right? Yeah, good point. Yeah, you never know. It's hard to yeah. say with Bomber, yeah. but he, I mean, he he has been one to make moves at the deadline, but also his team is in a much better position when he did that, right? When he's doing things like trade for David Perron or Jamie McGann, and the Ducks were in it then, right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say. Uh, last week we got some sad news in the hockey world: Rick Nash retiring uh, because of complications, post concussion symptoms. Only thirty four years old. And, I mean, he was close to the end of his career, but he probably theoretically had at least a few years left. He was still playing at a good enough level. Maybe not a first-line forward anymore, but maybe a middle six forward. So I'm just curious what you guys think of the legacy 
Rick Nash leaves behind. To, to me, he's kind of a, a classic Hall of Very Good guy. Very talented player. I think underrated in the defensive side of the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, highlight reel with his skills, his ability to make those power deke moves. Never played on enough really good teams to max out numbers-wise. But I don't think he'll be known as a star, and I don't, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to get Hall of Fame consideration. Oh, God, no. But, oh, yeah, God. what do you guys think? Yeah, no, no. He's not even close to the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Um, I, I think Rick Nash's legacy will be mixed. Off the ice, I think it's, it's, it's really solid. Good team guy. Um, you know, and a guy that this year, quite frankly, could have taken the money and run. You know, he could have signed a two- or three-year deal with somebody – Gone on, you know, long-term IR, retired, got his money for a couple more years, and called it a day. Uh, he refused to do that, and I, I, I think that's, I think he's to be commended for that. Mm-hmm. He's always been, you know, a stand-up guy. Um, on the ice, a mixed legacy, I think. Um, he was the kind of guy that, with the exception of a couple of years, kind of always left you wanting, you know, wanting a little more, and... To me, almost a guy that you, you you thought could have been better. You know, you just thought he could have been better. Do you think it was if a product of his gifts? No, I think it was a max, matter of maximizing the gifts that he had. And you always thought that – I always get the sense that he wasn't all in on being the best player he could be. That's, mm. that's kind of where I'm at with him. Yeah. When I think Rick Nash, I think of – the goal he scored internationally, yeah. literally with a Finnish man on his back. Right, right. Uh, I, I think of those power moves, and I, I think he was a really good player in an era that did not reward offense. If you think about the beginning of his career uh, and when he was coming up, when he was in his peak years, he was one of the better offensive players during that time. I also think about the what if of what if he ever had a center in Columbus, i.e. on Jay Kopitar, who the Columbus yeah. Blue Jackets scouts wanted to draft. Doug McLean, the GM at the time, said, I'm not taking the Slovenian. Yep. They took Gilbert Brule instead. Uh, can you imagine a top line of Andre Kopitar and Rick Nash? Mm-hmm. And can you also, just for the sake of, uh, Columbus also passed on Marty St. Louis. When he went, uh, when he was available mm-hmm. before Tampa Bay snapped him up. So can you imagine a top line of Andre Kopitar with Marty St. Louis and Rick Nash? Yeah, because Nash devastating that would have been. But it's all you know, what ifs, and I, I think that's the big thing with Nash is that you know he never had much of a cast, and uh, you know during his prime, but yeah. he was he was still pretty. Especially, like you said, when he was young, people forget he had 41 goals as a teenager in mm-hmm. peak bottom-out mm-hmm. dead puck game, yeah, yeah. right? And yeah. he, I think he won the Rocket Richard, right? He tied with, I believe, Kovalchuk and Ginlev. Yeah. My memory serves me right. Yeah. Let me know, listeners. Uh, but he was such an athlete at a young age, but those years were so wasted. Didn't even get to the playoffs till 08, 09. And then they were swept. And they were yeah. promptly swept. That's right. So I agree. He definitely is someone that you associate with amazing talent, but also leaving you wanting more. I yeah, think that's yeah. fair. Uh, there's been an interesting theme this year. If you look at the head coaches, Dave Hoxtall fired. Uh, and then last week we have Jim Montgomery in Dallas talking about the culture of mediocrity in the Dallas Stars. And then you have David Quinn in New York calling out his players after a big uh, blown lead and 
saying they were a jerk. I think it was a joke what happened, Something right? was, yeah. yeah. Was I remember the word joke. joke. The it word a, joke was in there. It was an absolute joke. And whether it's coincidence or not, <laughs> we're seeing the ex-college coaches right now struggle and seemingly struggle to connect with their players and feel the need to publicly call them out. Uh, and I kind of want to direct the question first to you, Ryan, because uh-huh. you're the one who followed these guys closest before they were NHL coaches. And do you think it's coincidence right now, or is there some kind of disconnect when you coach in the NCAA and you make the leap to the NHL? Well, I, I think there's a couple of different situations that we're looking at. I mean, in, in Philly, uh, Hacksaw was interesting because those Flyers teams would get off to slow starts, and then they would really come on as the year went on. And it's funny because uh, Brad Schlossman is uh, a beat writer in North Dakota. For my money, he's the best college beat writer there is. He covers the U- University of North Dakota, where Dave Hackstall came from. And he actually had the same parallel when Hackstall was in Grand Forks, that those North Dakota teams would start off slow, and then once they kind of figured out what Hack was going for, they really came on uh, when it mattered. Um, but Philly had no goaltending. Uh, you know, they obviously had some structural deficiencies there, and, you know, change had to be made. When I look at Quinn and Montgomery, it's two interesting situations because Dallas is a playoff team right now, which is kind of funny because all we hear is bad things about the Stars, but they're actually third in their division as we speak. Um, I feel like the Stars are trying to get at something bigger right now. They're, they're trying to figure out their culture. I actually blogged on it. Uh, Monday. And with Montgomery being an NCAA coach, he had to build a culture at the University of Denver. Not that there was one, or, you know, not that there was one lacking before he got there, because uh, there certainly was. But when you're coming in, you're bringing in all these kids, different years, different skill sets, you got to come together pretty quickly. And I almost feel like that was part of the rationale in Dallas is let's get a fresh voice, a coach who's, you know, not old, he's not recycled. Um, but he knows how to deal with personalities, and it's it's been messy so far in Dallas. But I think they're trying to build something bigger. They don't just want to squeak into the playoffs. They know that they have top end talent there. Yeah. Um, and when I look at David Quinn, here's a guy who again built something pretty quickly at Boston University. Had a lot of success developing NHL prospects. The Rangers wanted to go young this year. And there's going to be bumps along the road. And, you know, it's funny. He probably wouldn't have called out college kids like that because he knows they're still developing. But the expectations are a lot higher with NHLers. And I I think this is just – these are all symptoms of what these franchisers are trying to do. Um, My last point is I I don't think we've seen the end of the NCAA coaching trend um, simply because Scott Sandlin at Minnesota Duluth has done incredible things with the Bulldogs program. They could easily win the national title again this year, and I I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or two an NHL team seriously took a run at him for their job. So that's that's my thought on the matter. I just think it's interesting, you know, like guys in the NHL, coaches in the NHL who have been around a while, how do they rip their players they do it by saying, and most of them do it by saying, it's on me. I didn't prepare these guys well enough. You know, I, 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 you know, obviously I didn't prepare these guys well enough. We weren't ready to play. That's on me. When basically they're saying these guys suck. Yeah, that's the, that's <laughs> the right? Mike Babcock. Yeah, Mike yeah. Babcock. Like they, they, they sucked, but 
I'll take the bullet here and say it's because I didn't prepare them. Like you have to prepare a, you know, an NHL guy for competition, right? right? A guy who's making all that money and is is a, is a pro. You've got to prepare them properly. Yeah. And and these guys don't do that. They just say, yeah, we sucked or they, this guy sucked or whatever. So I think there is a disconnect in that way. And I think you are able to do it. Like in a college dressing room, you can go up to a guy and like, you're not good enough. You're not playing well enough. We need more from you. It's mm. it's more difficult to do that in an NHL environment, you know. So I, I do think there is that sort of learning curve for those guys where they have to go, okay, I'm, I'm dealing with grown men here who are making a lot more money than I do. And, you know, I mean, in college, you know, I mean, especially in football, but probably less so in hockey, the coach is the king, right? Mm-hmm. The coach is the king, right? So he's he's there. The kids are there for four years at the most. He's there the whole time. He's the constant. He's the guy who wins. In the NHL, it's different. The coach is repl- eminently replaceable, and the players are the ones who are going to be the ones that respond to the coach and decide whether or not the coach keeps his job. So I think there is a bit of a disconnect there. I think I don't know if the college thing is that much of a big deal. It, I, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is these are all bad teams. Yeah, that's, that's right, they're true. all bad teams. Yeah, that's true. They're all bad yeah, teams. They, they don't have enough good you know, players. Yeah, but I, I do think there's something, and I think there's a psychological element to it. And you look at, like you said, Ken College, but even Major Junior, to get very, very uh, psychological here. I think the coaches are more father figures on those yeah. teams. They yeah. have more of a subconscious authority, like you said, the ability to chew out a player. So what I always wonder is. Is it tougher for a college coach to come and win over a room when he's used to having that kind of godlike status yeah, yeah. and power over his yeah, players? Yeah, yeah. And does, does the respect have to be earned? And, and also on the on the player side, is there a sense of, hey, you've never worked with players like us before. Like, you don't know how to deal with us. I don't know. Right. Like, it's not something we can really it's, it's quantify. Really, but yeah, It's really interesting. I mean, Mike Keenan came from the college ranks, like Canadian college. But mm-hmm. he, I remember him saying, you know, when he came into the room the first time, it was like, these guys didn't know who I was. They didn't care who I was. So mm. he had to take on that kind of badass sort of persona, and it worked for him. But sometimes it doesn't work, I guess. Yeah. You know? Fair, fair. Fantasy insider time. I got a few pickups for you guys. One is, I think, a high-priority pickup given his situation, pedigree, Jacob Vrana in Washington. He's someone who it seemed like he was blooming so late that – there were whispers that maybe he was going to be a bust as a first-rounder, but suddenly he's got 15 goals, and the Capitals are very set, and that's a very nice thing. Predictability is good in fantasy. The Caps are locked into their first two lines, so you know you're going to have Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Tom Wilson, and you know Vrana is locked in right now on that second line with with, uh, Nicholas Backstrom and TJ Oshie, so the role is strong, and the talent was always there, so when someone that talented and expected to to produce starts producing, you don't treat it as a fluke, you don't treat it as a coincidence, and that's why Vrana's ownership tag is something like 14%, which is crazy. He should be grabbed in all leagues, I'd say. Even okay, so 14% leagues. of leagues he's available? Is that 14, what he's only owned in 14%. He's, what? He's available in 86%. He's, he's yes, available. that's right. Wow. Uh, wow. The other two pickups I got this week are more, they're deeper pickups. So one, I can't believe I'm saying this, and no disrespect to him, but pick up Brandon Tanev in mm. a fantasy hockey pool. And this is, uh, I'm talking deeper pools where you count hits in particular, uh, because we know Tanev's not getting those power play minutes, but and he's not even playing in the top six in Winnipeg, but he's producing. He's got 10 yes. goals already. Yes. And the running joke now is he's playing his way out of Winnipeg because he's going to be a UFA and they're not going to be able to spend that money on him. Yeah. Uh, but he's someone that, in particular, in hits leagues, you're going to want to ride. In regular leagues, I wouldn't jump to grab him because this is probably a hot streak that's going to cool down. 
but the hits are there either way in, in those kind of leagues. So even if he stops scoring, he's still going to be useful. And as a bonus right now, he's on fire. And the third pickup, this is a weird one. I don't yeah. know. This is one where you keep a very short lease. I'm talking two, two or three games at most for Connor Garland mm. in Arizona. He's getting a lot of power play time. He's got eight goals already in very limited sample. And I don't know where he came from with his production. He was producing this year in the AHL. And if you go back to his, his major junior days, he did put up some big numbers. Yeah. So maybe he's tapping into something late. But either way, I think it's one of those guys where if you have a really deep league and you have an injury you need to replace for a game or two, you just give him, I call it a tryout. Throw him in there for a couple of games, see if he keeps it going. And it's entire, entirely possible that you're going to drop him next week. That's okay. But give it yeah. a shot. Yeah, he was a guy that put up big numbers in the Quebec League. Huge, huge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he huge led all. In the Quebec League. Yeah, he led all of major junior in scoring one year. Yeah, and then and then he just like for three years he was stuck in the minors. Yeah, well, and, sm- small guy didn't play defense. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but you know, I think another thing that you're not touching on, Matt, is is the team he plays for. He's going to get minutes. He's going to get an opportunity yep. with that team. He's going to get a, a chance to produce offensively with these guys. So does Jordan it's, Wheel, it's by like the way. The, it's like mm-hmm. the Steve Sullivan thing, right? Like in Toronto, he just didn't get, never got the chance. He went to Chicago and he was a 30-goal scorer yep. because somebody's got to eat up those minutes. Somebody's got to score the goals. Somebody's got to play on the power play. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a guy that he's one of those um, good, bad team players. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's, really, he's really good on a bad team. Yeah. Yeah, that was Andrew Burnett's calling card for his yeah. entire career. Right? Yeah, uh, future watch time, Ryan. What do you got cooking in the prospect world, my friend? Okay, so let's start off with Alex Turcotte for the 2019 NHL Draft. Alex Turcotte has 15 points in 12 games. Uh, he missed most of the first half with an undisclosed injury. He is back now, and he is on fire. Uh, he is a natural center playing behind Jack Hughes, uh, but he has a very nice pedigree himself. His father, Alfie Turcotte, boy, former yeah. NHLer. Yeah. Um, Alex is just an amazing skater, uh, one of his big strengths, and you know, obviously coming from that family, um, not, a, not a huge surprise. Real high-level skill. Um, he's doing a lot of damage there, and this is a sort of player where you know, coming into the season – he was seen as a potential top 10, top 15 pick, uh, and you know the injury kind of pushed him down a couple of boards, but I would suspect that we're going to see him a lot higher the next time everybody puts their rankings out, myself included. Uh, he's committed to the University of Wisconsin. Uh, the Badgers have put together a really nice pipeline under Tony Granato, so uh, keep an eye out for Alex Turcotte. All right. And then uh, go for drafted players. I can go with Isaac Ratcliffe right now, the six foot six left winger for the OHL's Guelph Storm. He is a Philadelphia Flyers draft pick. 30 goals, 47 points in 39 games. What I'm really intrigued about with Ratcliffe right now is that the Storm made an insane amount of trades yeah. uh, at the deadline. They went all in. Nick Suzuki, Mackenzie Entwistle, Marcus Phillips all played for Canada's World Junior Team. They are all now members of the Guelph Storm, as is. Sean Dersey and Fedor Gordiev, both defensemen drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, so Ratcliffe has a ton of help. And, and you know, Guelph had some pretty good players to begin with. Uh, you know, guys like Nate Schnarr and Dmitry Samarukov, who played for Russia at the World Juniors. So a um, lot to like in Ratcliffe. Natural scoring touch. Obviously, he's got a really nice frame. You can stick him in front of the net. 
And uh, at this point, I'm just intrigued to see how many more goals and points he can get with that great cast around him in Guelph. Philadelphia Flyers, man. They just keep finding guys. For a while, it was the defense pipeline, but now mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they're getting forward too. Morgan Frost. And it just seems like that's an appealing situation for it. I keep saying, Joel Quenville. Yeah, I'm not, I would want it, I would want to take over that I'm situation. I'm not with you, Matt. I'm not with you on that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm, How come? Because, first of all, I don't think coaches think that way. Why not? I don't, I don't think they think because they don't. I don't know why. I'm not a coach. <laughs> Do you know they don't? But I, but I don't think they think, oh, yeah, this team's going to be really good in three years. I think a coach thinks my shelf life is limited. Therefore, mm-hmm. I want to go somewhere where I'm going to win now. But they have good players now, too. And, but secondly, oh, they do? Philadelphia has good Claude players? Drew. Claude Giroux. Yeah, if you're, if, you're a new, if you're a coach taking over, I think you're still going to look I at think Claude Giroux, I Jacob Borchek, Ivan Provorov, Shane Gostaspier. I want me to keep kids, Yeah, keep going because their kids have not been good this year. Yeah, but with a new their coach. Their kids have all taken a step back. Yes. And part of the reason why they're Travis so private, yeah, part of the reason why they're so bad this year is because their kids haven't played very well at right. all. But if you're a good coach, if you're Joel Quenville saying, I'm a great coach, I know I can get the most. I can out coach him guys. up. I've seen a lot of Travis yeah. Konechny. I can get the most out of him. Yeah. There's, there's some nice clay to mold here. That's what I'm thinking if I'm Joel Quenville. Also, they've had more goaltenders than you have siblings. <laughs> and that's a lot, have, everybody. Because I have five siblings. They've had, they've had, had seven goaltenders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Fair play. Yeah, okay. Sibling burn. <laughs> <laughs> Sudburn. <laughs> uh, switching gears now. Speaking of kids, I guess, uh, the next edition of the Hockey News Magazine, there is the Money and Power edition on newsstands, but our regular uh, subscriber-style issue that's coming out is the Rookie Issue. And, Ryan, you have a story on a couple of guys who are messy roommates, but also great rookies with the Sabres, Rasmus Dahlin, Casey Middlestat. So fill us in a little bit about the experience of working with them. Yeah, pretty fun. Went uh, went down to Buffalo, uh, I guess a month or so ago, and and talked to both those young gentlemen. And you know, obviously, uh, Buffalo, they love their Sabers there. It's a great sports town, and you know, these guys they already get recognized wherever they go. Although Middlestat says he gets recognized because he's always with Darlene, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, obviously, people are very excited about the the young rushing defenseman. Um, it's kind of neat because they they live together right now uh, in a condo and being young guys, even though Dahlin has lived on his own for years uh, back from when he was in Sweden, um, you know, they're still like finding their way, you know, they, they get the cleaning lady to come in, um, you know, they have their little tips with each other because they're both very similar personality wise. They, mm-hmm. they have a lot of fun together as well. Neither of them cook. Uh, so there's a lot of getting food, you know, from the, uh, the team at the rink and taking it back, or they'll go to an older teammate's house for dinner. Zach Bogosian apparently has, uh, been very good for the whole team really, uh, but especially the young guys in that respect. And, you know, like, I mean, Buffalo has been scrappier than we thought this year. They're, they're starting to, uh, put something together and these two players are going to be very important. Obviously Jack Eichel is the uh, the cornerstone, but you put Middlestat behind him. You got Rasmus Dahlin on the back end. Uh, they're starting to build something, and uh, the the vibes are good there. I was um, <clears throat> I was in Buffalo this weekend for the uh, Buffalo Tampa game on Saturday, and I saw Rasmus Dahlin at one end of the ice and Victor Hedman at the other end of the ice, and I went, Rasmus Dahlin in eight, ten, eight years or so is going to be what we're seeing at this end of the ice with Victor Hedman. Right. I, I see so so many similarities, right down to the fact that they're good rookies, but they weren't. They're not. No, like they're not, they're not like, setting like, the world. Like nobody's fire. nobody's talking about Rasmus Dahlin winning the Calder Trophy this no. year. No, you know. But I, I can see him being in five years just being a stud. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, yep. just like just like Victor Hedman is, right? Yeah. Sort of same sort of thing. Casey Middlestat, very disappointed to be honest with you. Very disappointed with his with his season. Yeah, this I expected year. a lot more. Very progress. very disappointed. Mm. I mean, he's playing on the fourth line, but. You play your way to the fourth line, and, and he's, yeah, he, <laughs> you know, he had I mean, he lots had that, of opportunities. He had that opportunity. Yeah. I, I'm I'm actually quite disappointed in the year he's put together this year. Um, that's not to say that he's not going to be a good player because he's proven he is a very good player, but he really hasn't um, he really hasn't been very good this year. I, I think part of that <laughs> is that Buffalo wants him to play a more complete game, yeah. and yeah. He, you know, coming out of Minnesota high school. I mean, he didn't have to play defense. Where he was playing two years ago, right? Yeah. Like, so that's yeah. the yeah. other thing. Yeah. He was playing Minnesota High School two years ago. Yeah, and then one yeah. year at the University of Minnesota. Um, and then, you know, you, you come into Buffalo now, and he's and, and he knows this. And, and, and it's actually good because he told me it's kind of good having Phil Housley as his coach because Phil Housley also played Minnesota was, High yeah. School. Yeah. And he also coached Minnesota High School uh-huh. uh, for yeah. years uh, with Stillwater, yeah. the ponies. Um so they run deep. They run Still deep. Waters. Yes, they do. And ponies, <laughs> run, and ponies run fast. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Um, but anyway, so you know he knows that he has to work on his game away from the puck, and I think that's part of the process now with Middlestad is they they don't need him to score thirty goals this year. They need no. him to figure out how to prevent thirty goals when he's on the right. ice. And I, and I think too, like. He kind of set the bar pretty high last year. It's true. Like, you know, you go into the place where you're going to be playing in a couple of months and you shoot the lights out in the World Junior. Yeah. It yeah. creates a it creates a, a rather high level of expectation, press, especially in a market like Buffalo that's been mm-hmm. so downtrodden over well, the he, last he was number years. one in our future watch rankings, yeah. which yeah. I think personally have a recency bias where guys who dominate the World Juniors almost get too big of a spike sometimes, mm. right? And uh-huh. That won't be a. a problem for Canada this year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember something too. Uh, uh, talking to Middlestat last year and and his former coach now Don Lucia, Lucia. Did Lucia? I say it right this time? Yeah. Boom. Uh, and Middlestat said he he loves the idea of setting up players so much, and then and Lucia almost used it as a critique that it's almost become a weakness. Where he's he lo- he is a great setup artist, but he's almost addicted to the idea of <laughs> feeding other teammates mm. to the point where he'll sometimes pass up a, a scoring yeah. chance for himself. Mm. Not good when you're playing on the fourth line, though, because yeah. generally you're playing with guys that <laughs> Don't pass aren't, aren't so good at yeah, they're not finishing finish. plays. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of finishing things, okay, Ken, this is the transition to your hot take. There was theoretically some unfinished business Regarding Mr. Wow. Matheson. Wow. Is that, how was that transition? That, that was, was terrible. No good? No it was good? awful. <laughs> Come on. That was terrible. Yeah, I guess I, I've done better. All right, I've done better. Anyways, okay. okay. Here's something, I'll something, take, Michael Matheson. I'll take it. There you I'll go. Take. Okay, guys. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong here, but when the calendar turned a couple of weeks ago, it went to 2019, right? True. We went to 2019. Sounds like Matt Foley. I can't see real good. Is that Bill <laughs> Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that Ernest Hemingway there? I don't see that. Anyways, it turned to 2019, right? Correct. I think it didn't so. turn to 1987, 1988. Didn't turn there, right? <laughs> no. no. Okay. So Mike Matheson goes into Vancouver, and of course, he's supposed to fight somebody. Turns down fights with Jake Vertan and Antoine Roussel. And everybody loses their crap because, you know, because this has to be avenged. Let's forget about the fact that the guy got a two-game suspension. Whether you like the suspension or not, he got his two-game suspension. He served his sentence. He doesn't have to fight anybody. 
this is 2019. He can walk away from a fight if he wants. And I, to me, it's just, it's just absolutely ridiculous, especially, especially in a place like Vancouver. Yes. What happened <laughs> a bunch of years ago when a, guy, a bunch of guys got bloodthirsty and went out for revenge? Mm. What happened? Only one of the worst things ever to happen in NHL history. Yep. <laughs> Only one of the worst things ever. Like, come on. Yeah, short Seriously, memory. seriously, guys. Like, Fighting's at historic lows. Like, what are you doing? Mike Matheson's been in one fight in his career. He served a suspension. You know, and you got your Michael Haley, Eric Branson thing. They did the dancing bear thing in the second period. So everybody who wanted to see that garbage got to see it. So mm-hmm. just lay off. Like, seriously. I mean, the guy doesn't have to fight. He served a suspension. It's over. Move on. Uh, see, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, which is which I'm shocking myself because I'm generally pretty anti-fighting and I'm very mm-hmm. anti-caveman culture, you know, old school hockey culture. I'm done with that. But in this situation, I can at least within the realm of that kind of thinking, uh, I can think of worse examples. Like uh, if it's a guy throws a clean hit and has to fight in the middle yeah, of the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, that's but th- whereas this one, like the the choke slam, to me it was a particularly malicious attack, and it also yeah. concussed and knocked out a rookie for several games. Their most important player. Uh, so I see, and it's almost like, so yes, he got suspended two games, but what if it was a 20 game suspension for a really vicious attack and people wouldn't say, well, he's served his time. We're not going to get revenge on him. They're still going to want to take that guy's head off when he comes back and plays the the team of the guy he hurt. Yeah. But I think too, though, if, if I think if this does speak to the culture of the NHL in as much as people think, well, he only got two games and our guy sat out two weeks. So they're still... You know, we still need to get our pound of flesh here. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he had had a 10-game suspension, like he should have in the first place, maybe people say, okay, he sat out his 10 games. Our guy missed two weeks. Maybe maybe there's a bit more equity there. But it goes back to, you know, this frontier justice, this vigilante justice. Mm-hmm. Because the NHL isn't going to take care of our guys, we're going to have to do it ourselves. Fair point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, mailbag time. We're going to start with Kyle Lisk. Is it, maybe it's Kyle Lisk. Probably. Yeah, probably some guy named Kyle. And Kyle asks... Not a basil. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Kyle asks, would the league extend three-on-three overtime to 10 minutes before a shootout? Uh, I'll start with this one because I know at least on the player's side, there's evidence that there's an appetite because some players told me that they'd be into it. The, the, mm. the biggest guy that was a massive proponent when I brought it up, because I was, it was at the All-Star Weekend a few years ago, so I, I was just pulling all the players on what they thought. And Nathan McKinnon in particular... Almost like because you're Nathan McKinnon and you can skate like that, he's like, I'd love, <laughs> totally. I would love 10 minutes at three on three. Yeah. So I think there are players that would be into it. Uh, where I'm not sure is, would it be, would a 10 minute three on three overtime take up less TV time than a shootout? Or maybe roughly the same? Probably about the same. So, like, would there be any concerns for just like telecast blocks? No, I th- the league. I, no, I think to where this is going to be the big summoning block is going to be this is going to have to be collectively bargained. Yes. Right, right, right. Okay, and you talk about you know how great three on three for ten minutes is going to be, but wait until if it ha- if it ever were to happen, wait until you're playing in Carolina one night, you go ten minutes three on three, then you got to get on a plane and you got to go to Buffalo for a game the next night. After that game, coaches are going to be complaining about 10 minutes of three-on-three, no question about it. Because you're playing all your best players, and they're getting more tired. But the fact of the matter is, is is this would have to be collectively bargained. Mm -hmm. So if, even though the players like it and would want it, the NHLPA is going to say, okay, you're making our players do more, 
for their contracts. What are you going to give us in return? So it becomes a collective bargaining issue and it becomes a chip in collective bargaining. And that's what it will be. That's exactly what it will be. And even if the players like it, they may not go for it just because they would be using it in order to gain a concession somewhere else. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. My only thought is if you go to 10 minutes, I think it probably has the desired effect because at some point you wouldn't be able to just play your best players. You would yeah. have to sneak yeah. on a third or a fourth liner, and that's where you get the matchup Maybe you get problem. some more matchup things, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then maybe, maybe the game only ends at... 535 or something or even before that because people have strategize yeah. and yeah don't buy it don't buy it Fair. two weeks ago two weeks ago at christmas during the christmas break in my men's league we had five skaters five skaters total five skaters total wow and, oh, and we so, all played the whole game okay? yeah and i'm 56 years old and i'm fat and <laughs> so short, it was three on two skate no it was no it was five, five each five. well you said we had five skaters total i thought you no, meant I mean, our team had oh, five like, you played three on two goal. for a whole <laughs> We had five skaters and a goalie, and it was one of our best games of the year. There you go. And so these guys can play. There you go. There you have it, folks. A 56-year-old man can play an entire game five on five. So can NHLers. And I got an assist, a beauty. Oh, cool story, bro. Here's your participation ribbon. You know what's funny? I have, I have, I literally have a lot of participation ribbons. That tells you how good my hockey career was. Like I got a lot, I got a lot of most improved player trophies, Ah. which means like you sucked and now you're mediocre. Now you suck less. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't go in. If you had gone into some hair competitions, you would have had the gold gold star every time. The golden eyebrow. You had a haircut, eh? I did. I did. 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 It looks good. Thanks for noticing. Too bad you can't see this, but Matt's got the good hair going today. Oh, the guy who cuts my hair went to high school with Joel Ward. True And I, and I, I, and I told Joel Ward. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know that guy. His name's Gus. <laughs> there's, there, name Gus. Yeah, there's a cool story for you. That's okay. a cool story. Next question is from <laughs> Sam. <laughs> Sam T- it's funny because I saw Joel Ward. And I'm like, can you tell him the haircut story? Am I going for it? I'm going for it. Hey, Joel, oh, yeah, guess what? Because sure. yeah. one of those, you know, when you do that, it can fall like, it can fall bad. Yes. Like if the guy just guys like... What are you okay. talking about? Get yeah. away from me? Well, it could have like, embarrassed, you know I mean? like, been an embarrassment like, to that guy who cuts my hair. If he's yeah, like, yeah. I don't know who that guy is. Yeah, right? yeah. But he yeah. was like, oh, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. Gus. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next one. This will be our last one. Santino Saponi mm-hmm. asks, would you move or who would you move the deadline if you were the New Jersey Devils? I'm thinking that they should move Marcus Johansson, and I'm not sure about some other guys. I would move Kyle Palmieri at the deadline. Ooh. That's who I would move. That's the guy I would move. He's on career. He's on pace for a career year this year. 37 goals. He makes a reasonable amount of money. He's 27 years old. I don't know if he's ever going to have a season that's better than this one. Mm-hmm. But, like, look at the other guys they have. Like, okay, so you trade Marcus Johansson. What are you going to get for that? Mm-hmm. An expiring contract at the deadline. I think they've got a couple of guys on D. But you, you might, know, I see what you're saying. You might actually get something you of would, No, this would, be, right. this would be a trade you'd make for the future, right? Yeah. So you would get something for a, for a Kyle Palmieri. Mm. Whereas, you know, I mean, I'm sure they'd love to trade Corey Schneider, but yeah. he's got four years at $6 million left on his deal. You're either eating a bunch of money or, you, you know, you're giving something to give this guy away. So I, I don't see a lot on that roster that's giveawayable. <laughs> uh, you know, that really would give them much mm-hmm. in in the present or the future mm-hmm. so if you're going to make a trade at the deadline then do it you know go big yeah yeah the only thing i could think of other than that would be 
if there's a youngish guy like a Pavel Zaka who needs a fresh start somewhere and you think you can get a deal for somebody else's young player that might need a change of scenery. Like Galchenyuk for Domi style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you can do one of those, I think you do it. Yeah. But, you know, you look at the Devils right now and they're kind of one of those limbo teams where it's like, this is not your year. This is not your time. The Devils in limbo, eh? Yeah. Hell, actually. Yeah. 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 Dante reference. Uh, there you go. I've been in Newark. Uh, <laughs> hey. uh, best dinosaur barbecue I've ever been to. So, hmm. Newark's got that. Um, but otherwise, you know, they're, they're building there. So if you can shed some expiring contracts, I think you do that and maybe you get an extra pick or two, but yeah. And you're going to do that. So yeah. you get that extra pick and yeah. no probably, it probably injury. doesn't turn out to be anything, but <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. Here's a question. So Taylor Hall, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, next year is the last year mm-hmm. of his contract. Yes. Mm-hmm. At what point does that start to get a little bit nerve-wracking from the perspective of, okay, the Devils progressed a lot last year, and, I, and I've been very supportive of Ray Shiro this year. I think he's doing the right thing by playing it slow. But if you're Taylor Hall and, and this team regresses a lot more than you even expected and you start, you start thinking about next year, and is it a guarantee that Taylor Hall is going to re-sign with the Devils? Or no. suddenly is that going to start creeping in as a point of discussion? And then does he start becoming a guy that gets bandied about in trade talks? Uh, no, it's not a guarantee that he's going to be back. But did anybody else think it was interesting that they re-upped John Hines for four years and were very, very public about re-signing him? Yeah, the timing was, yeah. was odd. Like, yeah, given, yeah. given yeah. the fact they've really regressed. Yeah, and to me, to me, I mean, first of all, they're saying it's not the coach's fault. This guy's a good coach, which he is. Yep. The second thing is, is Taylor... This guy, this guy, this made will you, be your coach. This guy made you an MVP. He's yeah. here. He's your coach. We believe in you. We believe in him. Sign with us. Yeah. I, I think. I, I think that 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 there was that subtext to it all yeah. because it came out as like they were in like thirtieth or thirty first place when they came out and did it, and they were very like it wasn't like you know that we resigned him and then somebody asked about it. Yeah, it was like. Devils re-signed John Hines. You it, was know? Like it was like, it was, like yeah. it, was, it was right out there. So Well, and going back to the culture talk we had earlier in the podcast, <laughs> Ray Shiro and John Hines had a very specific mandate two years ago, which was to rebuild the culture in New Jersey. Right. And they got the older veterans on board, and uh, they turned around, you know, at least in the short term, sooner than everybody thought possible yeah. with that playoff berth. Yeah. But I, I think you're right, Ken. There is something there where they're looking at Taylor Hall and saying, you're our cornerstone. We're going to build around you and Nico Heischer, and this is the plan. This is the brain trust that's going to do it. Are you on board? And it's almost, it's almost like better for them that he's kind of had – he stepped back this year. Because what if he puts together another MVP year, yeah, right this price, year, yeah, and you know, and then and then he goes into negotiations this summer and goes, okay, well, fifteen you know, million, just, just back that, just get back it up, back the big spring stroke up, beep beep yeah. beep, keep backing it up, yeah, you know, I mean, so now at least it's more realistic. You you know, you can say if you're the Devils, you can say, yeah, you were MVP, but then you took a step back. You're probably somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure we can we can come up with something. And and any time. Anybody, any of us have ever talked to Taylor Hall? He really talks about really liking it there. So mm-hmm. I think that that's part of it too. I would expect that they're going to get on that pretty early, like yeah. July first, early, <laughs> and get it done. I, I think so too. I'm pretty confident. I, I raise it more just 
almost like I thought of it on the spot. And, wow, it's interesting that this has never been brought up before, given the fact that, it, you know, his, his number's up pretty soon. But if I'm betting, I, I agree. I think he's going to stay. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the sound quality as well. And we'll be back next week. Don't forget, go to thehockeynews.com slash gold if you want to become a member. <laughs>